Welcome to the Astral Projection Podcast, brought to you by Ali Wiley. Welcome everyone. This is the second part of my interview with Andrew Hodrian, who is presently conducting research on out-of-body experiences. To take part in the survey, please go to www.obesurvey.webspace.virginmedia.com forward slash surveypage.html. Sorry, did you want me to talk about the uh, the masters you said? Yeah, that'd be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay, so um, my masters uh, I did, uh, which was at Lancaster University, also here in the UK. Um, this was on uh, my masters was on psychological research methods, but I was quite lucky to be allowed to conduct a number of a number of pieces of research in effectively whatever I chose. There were certain constraints, obviously, um, but it was kind of really up to me. So I picked three pieces of research that I'm passionate about. Uh, my main piece of research for my dissertation for my master's was on out-of-body experiences, so that was actually the first piece of proper research I've done. I, I've studied OBEs previously during my degree uh, in parapsychology, but this was the first proper piece of research I've done. So essentially what I was looking at with this was really relates to my general interest in OBEs. Um, I'm particularly fascinated in the features, um, which is incidentally what we're what we're studying with the current survey but i am really fascinated in all the the range of uh, the features that are experienced the in particular the variability of the experience that people have mm-hmm. um in between people and also within so it's one person having two very different obes uh you know things like that so what i was doing though for my dissertation was i was testing a, a specific psychological theory and there's been a number of psychological theories used to try and explain what obes are um they naturally i suppose naturally being psychological they tend to be you know take a skeptical approach uh in terms of trying you know explaining an ob in terms of known psychological processes or biological processes things like that so for example there's a, a neuroscientific theory uh there's a theory to do with uh, memory and, and uh, perceptions of models of reality and the theory that i was testing was um by a parapsychologist called harvey irwin which is known as the dissociational theory. Yes. Um, do you want me to just briefly mention what it's effectively saying? Yes, yes, um, yeah. it, it's really It's trying to account for OBEs um, by a range of dissociational sort of processes. Uh, and dissociation can mean a number of things, but it can be sort of psychological dis- dissociation where your mind goes into a, a state which is sort of separate to everything else. So really, uh, examples of that would be sort of heightened, a heightened sort of um, daydream or hypnotic state, things like that. Those are dissociative processes that can occur. Um, and it, it's kind of, it studied a number of dissociative processes uh, and tried to use psychological understanding of those to account for what an OBE is. And effectively, it's saying that people go into like a heightened uh, or a high or low arousal state. And then uh, there's a... a dissociation from the physical body so yeah. you lose kind of physical sensation in your body uh, it's a thing called somatoform dissociation uh and it's quite a complex theory so I, I won't, it's probably best i don't go into all the detail no, no. <laughs> um, it basically says in a nutshell it's saying that um it's trying to account for the experience we're saying you lose sensory awareness of where you are you lose sensation of your feeling that you're present in your physical body uh, and the idea is that your your, your brain then sort of constructs an idea of you being somewhere else 
uh, and transforms that into a visual uh, image, oh, which I is see. for a, yeah. a thing called synesthesia, which some of your listeners may have heard of. Uh, but if you haven't, uh, synesthesia is a, a fascinating uh, perceptual phenomenon. It's actually a, a thing that's quite rare, full proper synesthesia. There's, it's, it's more rare than OBEs. Um, so, uh, but it's also a thing that the general public can experience on a weaker level called weak synesthesia. And effectively what it is, is um, two different perceptions being linked automatically. So if someone perceives something uh, visually, they'll automatically have another perception of it, um, which may or may not be visual. So for example, um, this might ring a bell that uh, some people kind of smell colours. Uh, so they see a colour, they'll suddenly get a sensation of a specific cell, a smell wow. associated with that colour. Uh, and that's just one example. There's a whole range of different types of synesthesia. Um, so, and there's also can be two different visual perceptions. So some people see black and white, black writing on a, a white piece of paper, and they'll see specific colours represented from a specific letter, even though it's only written in black. Um, so it's, it's real fascinating. I'm really fascinated in synesthesia in its own right, and it's actually quite a big thing in... Um, parapsychological research because there's been quite a few findings that it's been it's relevant in some kind of way uh, there's there's some research being conducted right now on this actually about synesthesia related to exceptional uh, states of consciousness and things like that um, uh, psychic phenomena um, yeah I so, can well believe that because I, I don't believe anything happens without some sort of connection to, to something and like when people can um, smell colours or maybe he uh what was it somebody there was there's been lots of examples of this lately um well i can't remember exactly the example but they can hear colors as well or they have maybe they're hearing like the vibration of the color yeah and you know, i think you know a lot of research should go into this because it's really like quite a fascinating area as you say yeah absolutely yeah i mean it's something i hope to explore myself in the future at some point i think it's really um it's really, I think it's going to be quite fundamental to understand about perception because uh, they've found that actually we're, uh, we're either all born with synesthesia or we all have it when we're sort of in the womb. Uh, and then what happens is uh, these connections in the brain actually break down. But for some people, these connections don't break down and they're the people that have synesthesia. And rather than being, um, you know, quite things that are quite rare often sort of get talked about as if they're a negative thing, a pathological uh, or relating to a disorder. But actually, this is a gift. So the people that have this experience, they have a heightened perception of the world that most of us don't have. Exactly, so they, yeah. Yeah, so they have like an extra, almost like an extra sense, really, mm. um, that they can see, and it's automatic, uh, it just happens. Um, so they'll be able to see the world in a slightly different way, um, you know, than quite a number of us. Uh, and there's quite a lot of painters, actually, uh, who are synesthetic, and they use their experiences to actually inform their painting. And which is interesting. So anyway, to do with the theory, um, this process of synesthesia was used to try and account for how this idea of being out of the body then turns into this visual experience and a, a full-blown sort of experience. It's the idea that you have an idea of being somewhere away from your body and then it's transformed into this visual um, impression. So it's really, you know, I have to say, it's really sort of, I guess indirectly saying that the experience is hallucinatory in a way because um, it's saying that you just have an idea of being at your body and then it's transformed into a visual experience um, and 
it's sort of it's tried to account for a range of uh, some of the features. So it's actually quite, to be honest, it's uh, in terms of the psychological theories, it's one of the better ones in terms of uh, some of the psychological theories kind of really don't really account for a lot of the experience. Uh, they just kind of sidestep some of the things and don't even consider trying to address why does someone have why does someone experience vibrations? You know, why does someone have a heightened perception? Uh, things like that. Um, so the theories tried to account for some of that. And my, my approach to it was basically really, really was to try and test the theory, to try and test, well, how well can it account for the experience itself? And so I kind of took a really novel approach to the uh, theory because previously the only way the theory had been tested was to look at people who have OBEs and, and measure how they score on uh, these dissociative processes that I mentioned. Yeah. So um, you can sort of measure people uh, mostly through scale measurement um, you know, questionnaires uh, of things like uh, dissociation, uh, this somatoform dissociation, which to remind you is the losing your physical sensation in your body. Because um, people differ. Uh, you can measure people on this. People differ generally to do these states. Uh, there's also a thing called absorption, which is sort of being completely absorbed in, in something. It could be a piece of music, a film, uh, a book or something. It's really the ability to how well can you get sort of like lost in that uh, perception, uh, the, you know, and shut out the rest of, you know, sort of we're bombarded, our senses are bombarded all the time. Um, and so you can measure people on this. And there's been quite a number of academic studies to try and measure, um, do people who have OBEs, do they differ on some of these processes? Um, and that's really where the theory sort of took hold, Um because there is actually sort of some positive support for this, um, but it can be debated how you interpret the findings of those studies, um, which I'll happily talk about later on if you want. Um, but I took a very different approach. I, I actually studied people's experiences, which had never been done for this theory. They'd always just tested people, oh, you've had an OBE, and then they measure someone on one of these sort of uh, dissociative processes. So... What I did is I assessed um, published cases of OBEs, uh, and I was trying to look at well, do the uh, do the features behave in a way that fits with what the theory is saying, or do they, or are they highlighting that there's something else going on here? Uh, I was trying to sort of measure sort of this. Um, so I was kind of looking at sort of three specific things, um, which was uh, some of your listeners may have heard of some of the terminology with these, so. Uh, there's a thing called the parasomatic form and the asomatic form, uh, and these are uh, these were coined by someone called Celia Green, um, and she, she was an OBE researcher. I think the book was 1968, the main book uh, about experiences on this. And she, so basically, the parasomatic form is the when you have a double body in the OBE state, when you have another body. So when you look down, uh, are you inhabiting within another body? Um, and then the asomatic form is an experience of having no no body at all, no yeah. no spatial sort of, just existing as a point of consciousness or awareness. Uh, and also there's a kind of, you know, I'm sure there might be some listeners who have experienced this as well, an intermediate step where people experience having a spatial form, but they're not in another body shape. So they could be like a mist or, you know, a smoke or, 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 or just a ball, like a small sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, but they but they feel that they have some kind of spatial properties, but not in a in a you know a human body form. Um, so those are just two um, forms there, parasomatic. So if you think parasomatic is just having another body, and asomatic is not having a body form. 
Um, so what I was looking at was, I was looking at are there differences in when you have a parasomatic form versus an asomatic form? Do, do, do the experiences differ on a number of features? Uh, because the theory was hinting that they, there would be differences between the two. So that was one thing I looked at. And then I also looked at the what is commonly known as the astral cord. So I'm sure a number of listeners will have also heard of this, but this is the, this, the, this is the cord that can be experienced like a rope-like uh, thing connecting the physical body to where you are, your first-person perspective. I'd normally say sort of your double body, but I found cases where that's not true, where people have experienced this astral cord leading to nothing. Um, <laughs> but it's more commonly talked about as a connection between two bodies, a connection between your parasomatic form and your physical body. Um, so I also looked at that to see, are there differences between people who have an astral cord versus people who don't? And I believe I'm, my study was the first one to actually do this, I, I think so anyway, um, to look at these differences in terms of the actual features experienced. Um, so those are the two main things I looked at. And then there was a third thing I looked at in my dissertation, um, which was a different way of testing the theory, because the theory talked about when the OBE is terminated, there are a number of things which, in terms of the theory, should stop the experience occurring. So, which is basically drawing attention back to physical processes in the body, um, which could be someone touching your physical body externally, um, or you having a heightened emotion, so let's say uh, fear, <clears throat> which will kind of shock you and basically the experience ends. And commonly in the literature, these are talked about sort of, you know, as quite common occurrences, they say that suddenly you, if someone touches your body, your experience ends, or if you suddenly have fear that you're going to not be able to get back to your body or you're dying, or suddenly the experience will end. And so the theory tried to suggest ways that why these dissociative processes are going on, um, because you're basically drawing more attention back to physical processes in your body, and therefore the experience ends. But nobody had actually tested it. It was always just said, yeah, we found some of these experiences and they seem to be like this. Um, and the problem with that is it could just be a confirmation bias, which is like looking for something and then finding it, and then yeah. you think, oh, was, you know, I was correct. <laughs> So I thought, well, actually, I'll, I'll test that empirically because nobody, I believe, again, nobody had actually properly tested it. So, so it's quite a lot, as you can probably tell. I can imagine. Uh, uh, comes into it. But, um, and I've actually recently presented the first two, uh, the two things to do with uh, the astral cord and the bodily form. I've recently presented those at a conference in September. Um, but the, the, the final part, I've not uh, presented or talked about that anywhere yet, actually. Um, so and both, these are things that are hopefully going to be written up as uh, journal articles soon so they should hopefully be published next year oh that'd be interesting um, the, con the conclusion of the testing your theory what was your conclusion in the end well, that yeah. it, it was valid or my conclusion was that there was some support for the theory but a lot of just complete mixture of findings and, and, and not really it was very unclear what what this what what this was saying for the theory itself, um, and so kind of I ended up in a big sort of discussion around well, what's you know, is the theory just trying to sort of come up with explanations to account for some of these features when it is not really you know because you can sometimes try and make something fit a theory. Um, I think the theory is a good uh, starting point, but I think there's a number of things the theory doesn't do so well. 
it, it doesn't account for some other sort of phenomenon in the obese state. Um, you know, it kind of, it seems like a bit of, it also seems quite a leap to say that, you know, what's happening in this experience is you're just sort of imagining, or we're well, not imagining, you're feeling like you're not present in your body and then somehow that's transformed into this full-blown visual experience and then experience where you can navigate and move around an environment, um, uh, you know, and have all this sort of rich detail come out of it. Um, so I'm a little, I'm a little sceptical on how well the theory can actually account for the experience. But because I, I think, think, sorry, because sorry, I think, no, sorry, no, I think generally OBEers would, uh, would not agree with that theory at all. No, yeah, 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 I, 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 yeah, I can sympathise with that completely. So, I mean, that's really why I was testing it, um, you know, because I was thinking any theory should account for what the experience is and it shouldn't sidestep what, what people are experiencing. That's correct, yes. Yeah, and I, I think to be to develop an actual theory to try and say what's going on, we need to actually account for everything fairly, not sort of disregard and twist, mm. you know, twist what people experience or twist data or anything like that. So I think really the, the theory, the, the parts of the theory that I think are relevant um, are actually to do with the dissociative processes um, and the reason this is something I talked about at the conference um, is it's talked about as if like these dissociative processes are sort of explaining the experience, but there's a different interpretation that can be made about this, which is basically that to be able to stay in the OBE state, most people talk about how difficult it is to be able to you know achieve an OBE when you're trying to induce it um, or when you have it spontaneously and you want to stay in it and it will stop or things like this. Um, I think... It's really, if people differ on dissociative processes, on how well someone can go into these dissociative states, um, or to use a sort of an equivalent thing, how well someone can be go into a hypnotic state, or how well can someone go into an altered state generally. Um, if, people are be if some people are better at doing that generally, they're more likely to have an OBE. So actually the fact that they found a finding that they actually found a finding that OBEs do score higher on these dissociative processes. Makes sense to me. Yes, it does, it doesn't, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's in support of what the theory is actually talking about. So it's kind of, it seems to fit with the theory, but actually it can be interpreted a completely different way. Think of it as an ability, an ability to um, go into this state. Whatever is going on in the OBE state, it might be nothing to do with what this theory is saying. Um, but these dissociative processes um, means there's an individual difference in how well people can go into this state, which kind of makes sense because not 100% of people have these experiences. Um, so, for example, in terms of surveys, uh, it tends to be about measured about anything between 8 and 15% of people have OBEs. But then when you look at other populations, so, for example, students, it can sometimes be higher. So there's some studies which have measured students, and they found that it's anything up to 25%, which is a great, you know, which is a lot. But it's still not everyone, obviously. So, the, you know, it's not to say that those people won't have an OBE sometime later in their life. But I think, so like we talked about earlier with the remote viewing, and there could be this individual difference in how well people can achieve certain things. I think there is that going on with OBEs. I think there is a... Uh, there's a natural tendency some people have to more naturally go into this state. Uh, but also, you know, there's obviously people out there who go and train to try and induce them. So 
when you then go and set the intention and have an experience and then you know you're more likely to have one obviously because you're learning about it you're thinking about it you're trying the techniques that people have written about so i think that's what the theory has some sort of validity particularly to say is that there, there is a relevance for some of these processes but it's not necessarily explaining the experience it's more sort of describing you know a, a way to get into the state um, right, yeah. yeah so but it, it, you know it was interesting and it'll be interesting to see what happens in terms of afterwards when sort of it gets discussed further um because as i mentioned i was the, the first study to really test this theory in this way so you know obviously there needs to be sort of more research no it's true because theories do need to be tested in order yeah. to be to be understood or set if it's that theory or not that theory if that theory is valid or that theory is not valid they do have to be tested don't yeah. they uh, absolutely yeah, and I think when you start highlighting how well a theory doesn't fit the experience, that's where you get developments in science. So when you start to sort of say, well, wait a sec, there's something else going on here that we haven't accounted for, and that's where really sort of new ideas come about or new theories. So I think, you know, it's constantly, obviously, it's a constantly evolving process, things like this. Uh, and I think there's a great deal of research to be done on OBEs. And, uh, you know, I think there's a, a huge amount that we don't understand yet. Oh, definitely. Uh, and the more that's people... That's Sorry, the more people write about their experiences and share their experiences and then these experiences get looked at, the more scientists and can really look into them and find the common denominators and... Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I guess just from a, from this, from a, a personal point of view, from, from me... Um, I personally feel that sort of studying this phenomenon is not just like an unusual experience or, or, or even a paranormal experience, you know, because some people can talk about it in that way. But it's only paranormal if we have an assumption of what, you know, what the nature of reality is. Um, and obviously, you know, talking in a sort of where I live in the UK, you know, uh, you know, it's kind of like a Western sort of, I'd say heavily sort of materialist sort of viewpoint, you know, on the nature of reality. You know, there's obviously challenges to that. Um, you know, a lot of people sort of make assumptions about, you know, what's going on, you know, in terms of time, in terms of perception and uh, in terms of the mind and the body. Um, so whereas another culture could have a completely different viewpoint on this phenomenon uh, and the implications of it. So I feel actually by studying these these experiences, it's actually going to be fundamental to understanding consciousness itself. I think they actually sort of tip perception on its head uh, and there's sort of you know at face value people are having experiences that they shouldn't have based on what we understand about perception so there's something in something really fascinating going on here um you know and you know there may be in the future we might have a complete complete new understanding of perception that's come oh, out i definitely of think so i think in the end um output experiences this whole area will be could even be taught in schools in the end, you know, consciousness studies at a young age or something. I know it sounds yeah. a bit funny now, but <laughs> yeah, I think I mean, in the future it's, it's possible. Yeah, sadly, I mean, it's sadly, it's sad that it's so slow moving, but at the end of the day, if we keep going forwards, that's positive. But, you know, for, to give you an example of how slow moving it is, you know, um, when I did consciousness studies as part of my degree, there's quite a number of degrees, in here at least, um, that don't offer consciousness as a field to study. So, which is quite amazing to me because I think it's fundamental. It's the most, I, I'm, I'm biased, but I, I feel it's the most important thing to study because it's effectively studying what it means to be human and in our place in the world and actually the nature of reality and how we interact with it, which is 
really kind of been my overarching interest ever since I've been a child, really. Um, it's obviously developed a lot, you know, being an adult, but um, I've always been fascinated in the nature of reality and how we perceive it. So I think all of these, all the phenomena people have, different states of consciousness, they're all relevant for that in understanding overall, well, what is consciousness, which I feel we don't fully understand yet at all. So, I think you know. many, many of us live without actually being conscious as oh, well. Yeah. Because... <laughs> sometimes you're not conscious though and I think that's most of you know the problems why we lose things getting it down to a basic level why we lose things at, at home the keys and the sunglasses or whatever is because we're not conscious of yeah. what we're doing yeah know? absolutely we live yeah. in an automated world sometimes with automated um, actions to everything yeah absolutely I and mean I, thank yeah. you oh, sorry go ahead no I was just going to say in, in at school if children are taught to be more conscious they they're taught to think they're taught how to think not just to accept what's given to them absolutely yeah Yeah. thankfully there's actually been quite a lot of positive changes recently to do with this so for example um in transpersonal psychology um there's a sort of meditation which probably a lot of people have heard of like mindfulness and mindfulness is now being implemented into schools uh, and businesses it's still sort of baby steps but um there's people doing a lot more research on meditation and actually the positive benefits for that uh, in terms of our day-to-day living, uh, which massive amounts of implications for us psychologically and well-being and things like that. Oh, that's definitely true. You can avoid so much if you're just mm. present in the moment and you're mindful of what you're doing, what other people are doing. Do you know how many yeah. accidents I've managed to avoid in Italy? <laughs> Be mindful. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it's so easy to sort of... It's so easy to lose awareness of yourself, you know, because we've, we've all got pressures. We've all, you know, most of us, you know, we're having to sort of think about, you know, working or getting money or anything or achieving the next thing. Or if you've got children, looking after them. And so we're constantly thinking of things that are, you know, based on sort of surviving or looking after something, you know. So it's very easy to lose, you know, some of these sort of deeper thoughts. It's only where you have, a, I guess, if you have a personal interest in it, you're going to think more about it. Or if you're doing research on it, and so on. So I'm lucky to be able to do this sort of research. So oh, you've got the, a dream job, you have. I'd love <laughs> to be able to do that. If a, no, if a, no, a consciousness studies degree had been presented to me when I was 18, I would have taken it without hesitation. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, sadly, we're not there yet. Sadly, we're not there yet for having a whole degree on consciousness. Uh-huh. I mean, for example, my my when I studied consciousness, it was only in the final year, so the third year of it. But oh, really. You study, um, I mean, you study parts of it throughout most standard psychology degrees. You study it in terms of perception, but it doesn't really go too far beyond that. It doesn't really go into sort of um, the mind-body problem. How, how does the mind even relate to the brain? And how, suppose, you know, when I talked about materialism earlier, you know, there's this view that mind is produced by the brain. Um, but there's this big debate that is still ongoing and probably is going to be going on for a long time, you know, which says that, some people argue that that can't be possible. And some people say it has to be possible. We can only, you know, some people view that all we are is neurons firing in our brain um, and everything is a result of that and things like that. And then some people say, no, but wait a sec, the mind, how how can that even produce your, your mind, your sense of self, everything, everything that you experience, uh, even subjective experience itself, which is sort of debate, quite, debated quite a lot. Why, why do we even have subjective experience if all we are is like this sort of biological robot, which is the impression that's given from when you talk about us just being 
you know, neurons firing in a, a, a particular way in the brain. Um, so it's, it's fascinating. I mean, it's a fascinating field to be in. You get sort of, you know, a range of disciplines of psychologists, philosophers. Uh, you get physicists and you know, quantum physicists. Um, you get anthropologists. You get people studying religions. Um, so consciousness is actually relevant for all of that. That's right. You can't separate it into one thing or another, like yeah. you know, science, um, psychology, all this. It's all it comes into one, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I kind of really feel, thankfully, there is a movement as well with this about a cross-disciplinary approach to try and understand things. To really say, because if you're studying something from a particular discipline, and obviously I am, because I'm within psychology, but I think being mindful of the limitations of that is what's important, because it's very easy to just get biased by your own discipline, uh, your own ways of looking at the world, things like that. I mean, we're all heavily biased in our own perceptions, but there's this bias also in terms of the disciplines, in the, in the way you're trained to think about the world or the way you're trained to do research. So an anthropologist might think differently or approach some phenomena differently than a psychologist might. So I always try and remain open-minded about, you know, just being mindful of that that, you know, there's, there are these limitations and biases that come as part of a, a discipline. Um, but I think that's, the, that's the, the key to this, is just to be mindful of that and try and not let that influence um, how you're approaching the phenomena, um, you know, to, to honour it, in, you know, as fairly as possible. Um, yes, and then there's the obe that would be biased as well because he or she knows that they're real and... <laughs> You know, so you get the diff- yeah. you get the different perspective, looking from humanity upwards, and if you want to use the term upwards or inwards, and looking from the other direction, looking yeah. from inwards outwards. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's uh, I guess that's I suppose the beauty of life, really, is that we've all got different perceptions of yeah. the world. There is this nature of reality, whatever that is, but we've all got different ways of looking at that. You know, when I was talking about synesthesia earlier, you know, that's an example of a literal thing is people are literally seeing these different perceptions, which the rest of us most of the time don't. Or we might have a subtle, when I mentioned this, is a weaker form of it in the general population. Um, sometimes some people have, like, if they hear a sudden sound, they'll get, like, a very brief, like, flash of light or something like that, or, you know, just some perception which corresponds to another perception. But they'll, they won't think too much of it because it's so slight and subtle. Or they might have experienced it all their life and just think, oh, it's just that, and not really think what's causing that. Um, so, you know, there are t- we've all got different ways of looking at the world and experiences that people have. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to do the survey. If you missed the web address, you'll be able to access it from my website, www.astralwings.com. Happy travels. Happy travels.